our art is like that little magic ball that is very important to me and that's really truly mine that's my voice and I think that's very important to me so that's why I keep at it just working vision I have for what I want to create in the future This is the Latitudes Podcast, the voice for art from Africa, and I'm your host, Rafilwem Mpaganyane. Powered by IT Art Insurum, Season 1 of the Latitudes Podcast explores new ways of accessing and thinking about the contemporary visual arts from Africa, while also building a robust archive of thought leadership. Are you an art enthusiast or collector looking to safeguard your valuable assets? Look no further than I2 Art Insurum. With the company's unique understanding of both the art world and the insurance industry, I2 is equipped to handle the distinct risks associated with insuring your acquisitions. Whether your pieces hold aesthetic, historic, investment or sentimental value, I2 has you covered. Visit i2.co.za or contact your broker for more info. I2 Art Insure is an authorised financial services provider. This episode of the Latitudes podcast is a conversation with two of the finalists from the 2023 Anna Awards cohort. They are Naledi Haltman and Nindia Bhaktawa. Like the majority of the Anna Awards finalists, visual artists is just one of their occupations and our chat explores their artistic practice in the context of their fascinating multi-hyphenated backstories. Among many other topics, Nindia and Naledi delve into the urge to create so extensively outside of the expected bounds of visual arts, and they outline how success and achievement might feel for them when they finally arrive. Some background on Naledi as well as Nindia. Naledi is a multidisciplinary artist who's inspired by shapes and objects that both absorb and echo sound. Through her art, she explores a variety of media centered on the ideas of spatial politics, memory, mapping and sound. Naledi is also pursuing a master's degree in urban design, through which she says she's gaining an understanding of how space is crafted through an architectural lens. Now, Nindia is an award-winning multidisciplinary artist who experiments with clay and mixed media to create installations inspired by natural and urban landscapes. She specializes in topographical ceramic sculpture as a medium for space making to create immersive experiences of objects in space. Nindia's technically and conceptually complex work is made possible through her cumulative experience in architecture, art and science. Until recently a lecturer of architecture at UKZN, Nindia runs her own multidisciplinary design practice and ceramic business. You'll hear in our conversation that my guest's softly spoken nature belies that irrepressible intellectual curiosity as well as that bold artistic vision. Let's get into it. Thank you both of you so much for your time today. I was really excited to see your names pop up as we were workshopping the topics and guests for the podcast. And it really is inspiring to see the amazing work that South Africans are doing in whatever sectors, um, but yours in particular, incredibly just intellectually and I guess emotionally um, absorbing and grabbing. So what I'm interested in right away is to, first of all, congratulate you for having made it thus far to the finals. But I'm interested right away, and I'm going to start with you, Nindia, 
with your own approach and I guess the sort of emotional impetus behind your art? So I think always I'm going to just go a little bit back to contextualize. Growing up, I just was very, grew up in a very creative environment and uh, everybody in my family, although they have their own professional career, but they also an artist, either a musician or painter. To me, it was very natural to always draw and always sculpt or do something while I was wanted to be a vet, whatever. <laughs> it all made natural sense to actually just manifest what I'm here for. And I can't help it, but I have to create, I have to make something. It's good for my health, it's good for my spirit, and I have to do that, you know. And with my art, I've, I've always been fascinated with my relationship with the different landscape because growing up, I have I experienced a lot of dissociation, so I couldn't really be in my like body as such. And it helped me to be in the ocean. It helped me to hold pieces of coral on the beach. I grew up in Mauritius. Mm-hmm. So those fascination in terms of like when you can't, be in your body, how do you ground yourself in your in a space? How do you interpret a space? How do you interpret this different environment? Yeah. So this is exactly what I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky that I studied architecture because it all came, I never thought I'd be an architect, um, but um, it all made sense, you know, being here and exploring this, those fragments of how I see the world in a very fragmented way because of how fragmented I am myself, understanding of my, of who I am, and then taking those fragments and putting them in an installation is quite, it's, I find it incredibly magical to be able to do something like that. So yeah, that's why I, I do the crazy stuff I do. I tie 3,000 little beads together <laughs> <laughs> to fit it up and we create this installation. But they are so important because they so many people can relate to them, even little kids and old people. It reminds old people of their childhood and it takes little children on a journey. And I think that's what I really, I think that when my work can do this, I'm incredibly happy as an artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want to, if, if, when we have, if, this, if we have the time, just chase up on the idea of fragmentation as an individual mm-hmm. and how in many ways we're all trying to synthesize our experiences, the various parts of ourselves, and, and come up anew with something that feels whole and healthy and essential. Uh, and I'll come back to that idea. Now, Lady, your own creative and artistic impetus, where does that come from? And what is your um, approach to art? And you can be as intellectual or just emotive as, as possible. So similarly, I also grew up in a household where my mom in particular is somebody who used to paint a lot. And so we still have a lot of her paintings. They're like these still lives put all around the house. And I have an older brother who is 11 years older than me. And he as well was always very curious about making work and making his own art and he was very curious about architecture as well so growing up that influence I think as well was always around me and equally a love of music not necessarily 
my parents didn't make music, but people loved music in my home. So I grew up with a very deep understanding of the importance of music and how to feel through it and understand emotions. I think as a child growing up, that informed a lot of how how I knew how to or how feelings perhaps could be communicated through a medium was through music. Yeah. Another strong influence going back to my roots, I think, is the fact that most of my extended family is based in the Eastern Cape in East London and some in Joburg as well. So I grew up feeling quite spatially and emotionally disconnected from extended family. And I'm very grateful to have had the educational experiences that I have. But growing up, I did attend many schools that were white dominated. And so I felt quite underrepresented in this, these like spaces that one enters that become quite formative or informative rather in these formative years of growing mm-hmm. up. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I think early on in, in my life, I felt very motivated to find what home means, to explore these ideas of belonging feeling underrepresented in the world, longing to see myself in the spaces that I was in. I think, yeah, I was very much, and I always have been very curious and motivated about this idea of home. Mm. How does it look? How is it constructed? But also how home is carried and communicated through immaterial things through feeling a sense of familiarity, through people, through relationships, through symbols that we associate with specific cultures, with memory, with what our parents teach us home is. And also looking at tracing ancestry and what it means to be connected to the land of our ancestors, what it means to feel like a newcomer in one's town that you've perhaps actually been born in. So similarly, going into a spatial discipline and studying a spatial area after my undergraduate in fine art really made sense to actually understand these tools of how space is constructed. The conversation continues after this message from William Kentridge and the Centre for the Less Good Idea. This October, the Centre for the Less Good Idea invites you to our 10th season of collaborative, experimental and interdisciplinary work. Season 10 celebrates many of the key approaches that have come to define the Centre's way of working at the intersection between drama, dance, music and video. The season will include a collection of 11-minute epics, public processions, a collapsed concert and a first viewing of the new project, The Great Yes, The Great No. We hope you'll join us from the 18th to the 22nd of October at the Centre for the Less Good Idea in Arts on Main in Maboneng, downtown Johannesburg. What I alluded to in my introduction is the fact that the team at Latitude Online was struck by how multi-talented the finalists for the award are rather. And the question that I immediately went to 
is whether these mixes of talents and disciplines are an organic realization of your inherent interests and talents, or might there be an element of an artist knowing that, you know what, you actually have to keep your finger in so many pies for the obvious reasons of sustaining yourself financially right now, but also in the long term. And in many ways, you've spoken to that, but I want you to just pull that thread for me, Naledi, and talk to me about extending your studies um, into spatial studies uh, after you've studied at Michaelis and you've gotten your fine arts degree. Uh, do you Did you do this also with an eye to know that you have another element or another tool in your proverbial sort of uh, toolbox to be able to adult and live and thrive and sustain yourself in the South African context? Thank you, Rafiwe. I think that's a really good question because these are very real concerns. Sure. <laughs> but I think, you know, I really enjoyed my undergraduate process through fine art. I think it was something that, for me, allowed me to come closer to myself, but to also really accept or embrace the fact that I want to be an artist but that I can also be somebody who sees oneself rather as a communicator using a variety of many different tools. So that was quite freeing, I think, to decide that for myself. And I did feel a degree of uncertainty at the end of my degree, um, my mm-hmm. undergraduate degree. I felt a sense of I've been able to explore all of these things quite conceptually, artistically, through painting and installation and sound, and I've been able to write about these things. So getting a closer relationship to those forms of media was really helpful, and I really enjoyed that. But through exploring those concepts, I also felt like I wanted to know how to tangibly use them. Mm-hmm. So I was primarily really interested in space, representing space and sound and the conversation between the two. But I really wanted to know, okay, how can I actually tangibly touch this world of space and make an impact in this world? And I found out, I think, perhaps in my fourth year or third year, late third year or early fourth year, mm-hmm. that we had the potential to go straight into an honors program in landscape architecture. And I read a bit about the program and the themes just felt really relevant to me, looking at ecology and looking at people and how our relationship with natural systems can be constructed by space, can be really informed by spatial things, large scale and very small scale. Um, so that was a very exciting to discover for me. Yeah. I was really interested to read your submission to the Anna Awards and and the fact that you intend to be an interdisciplinary spatial practitioner uh, through, as you Mm. said, designing spatial and visual and sonic art, as well as collaborating with other practitioners to create outputs that evoke collective thinking. And it feels as though you're on the precipice of something so wide open and dynamic and quite free, really. What you've been able to craft is an arsenal of tools that allows you to pretty much do anything. Uh, I I find that pretty cool. Nindia, your own decision to go into architecture, which you said you never expected actually growing up, how did that come about? And how do all these things synthesize with your childhood impetus to create, as everyone else in your family did, and to be creative? How do these things all work? And perhaps architecture was a practical decision 
you know how we always ask artists, what did your parents say when you told them you wanted to become an artist? And did they insist on a so-called fallback plan? I quit uh, lecturing last year because my business was taking over. I just could, didn't have the capacity. I love that for you. The, uh, students, I love them and I do miss them. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to actually, I taught fun stuff, the visual communication, which is communicating your ideas to the world through different mediums. And I also treated in design, but that was the fun stuff. So yeah. it was very important for me to keep them inspired, especially first years. You want to keep them like excited about this because architecture is rough yeah. when you get into it. Like it, it. You become a zombie by third year. To go back onto your question. So in Mauritius, the education system, obviously government, very it's excellent. And we actually moderated by Cambridge. It's, I don't know who decided this, but in girls' school, you don't get to do design mm. and you get to do home economics. <laughs> <laughs> but I did pick arts as a subject and I never even thought about what does architect do. Like, it wasn't even a thought for me. And I loved animals. I thought I would be a vet. And, and my dad is a pharmacist, so we're like very medically inclined in education stuff. And so I thought I'm, I'm I really love biology. I really love mathematics, and I'm gonna I'm gonna become a vet. That was what I said, and that's why I came to South Africa. And my life growing up was quite challenging. I struggled with depression from the age of ten, undiagnosed, didn't really quite understanding. And when I arrived in South Africa, everything crumbled, like literally everything, my world, my health, my body. And I wasn't doing well at, at university. And I was like, now everything is crumbling and I have one shot at this. Mm -hmm. And and through like pure resilience and just like getting into the survival mode, I have to get up every day, it doesn't matter. And I just somehow, I, I think it was my cousin who was studying interior design and I would spend a lot of time with her and just slowly like gravitate and just be like, this feels so natural to be around architecture and models. And I'll finish my assignment quickly, my report, scientific reports, there was so much of them, so boring. So I finished them <laughs> quickly and then help people to build the models. So I mm -hmm. help and I help interior design the students to build a model and everybody was like oh you what are you doing are you a student here and then a friend of mine actually <laughs> really wanted me to apply for architecture so I did a portfolio I got into architecture it felt so natural and I just I was actually addicted to like working long hours and just working on these projects which just felt so natural yeah, it was, I think, a very, like, a destiny. Sometimes you don't quite know what's ahead. And I think having a flexible flexibility into an, in the image that you have of your life is very important mm -hmm. because life will take you in a very different direction. And, and it actually, I have no regrets. It's been an incredible journey. And I did practice for six years as an architect. 
but I did find it very restrictive for my creative energy. And then obviously, naturally, you can't work for somebody forever. You have to build your own empire, you know. Me and my partner, we've been building this this empire that we call a design empire together. And, and as it kicked off, things just worked out. And in 2019, I quit my job as an architect. Yeah. And I've now been like experiencing so much freedom in, in my manifestation because... I'm learning so much in so many different fronts, whether it is human resource, uh, HR, whether it is like finances, whether it is like running this crazy business, juggling all different things, working with people and and getting to know people on such an intimate level. So it's been quite incredible. And, and my art is like that little magic ball that is very important to me. Yeah. And that's really truly mine that's my voice and I think that's very important to me so that's why I keep at it just working vision I have for what I want to create in the future yeah and just looking at your own submission to the Anna Awards where you said that as an architect I choose to discard the mathematics and scientific nature of space making and instead investigate the nature of spatial memory through fragmentation of specific landscapes particularly in relationship uh, or in relation to my island home country and I find it's so interesting that you both keep coming back to ideas around, first of all, home, how we all ground ourselves in this thing called uh, a country, a home, spatially in our own bodies as well. But the practicalities of all of this, Nindya, being an entrepreneur, being an artist, and I wonder how you are managing uh, the push and pull of keeping a business viable paying a team, running workshops, being an employer, whilst, of course, still nurturing their creativity and how all of these don't impinge on the passion and the energy and the output artistically. The number one thing I would say is that I have an incredible team and uh, and I, I don't think I would be able to be here today without them and every single one. We currently have 11 permanent employees, seven men and four women and two factories and my ceramic studio and Pindi, Dolly and Londi and Spume. They're more on the administrative side. So they're at home. They spend eight hours with me every day in my house and they are very crucial to holding me. They have a very tough job too. <laughs> but I think I'm very lucky I have a partner that has a similar vision into what I want to create. And it's very hard to do it when you are on your own. Yeah. And we hold space for each other. And that's very important when he has to be, he's also an artist. And, in, and when he has to create work for a show, I hold space in the business more and when I have to. So there's a balance and somehow make it work. The people who are behind the scene are the people that's like really matters the most to me. Sure. And my team, actually, we have a very nurturing environment where we cook together and in summer we exercise together. So work is stressful. It's always going to be, but... There's other things other than work. And I think that's how I keep my balance when it comes to my creative energy. I do these open water ocean swims uh, with my friends, Dane and Carla, they're both artists. And we meet up at six o'clock in the morning and we just go out in the ocean. Mm. And it's when you're there, you don't even worry about the cold or whatever. There's so many things that you need to do to survive in that kind of environment. It's very intense, right? 
but it's also incredibly beautiful. We start before the sunrise and then mid-swim the sun rises and this is like the ocean turned into an ocean of mercury because it's golden light on the ocean and you're floating there. Mm. So those are the, the things that feed like my soul. And with obviously with mental health struggle and all of that, you navigate this very chaotic landscape and and you need to keep like it's i wouldn't say balance balance is like a very fragile place because it's easily offset but an idea of balance what is this idea of balance and how what actually makes you keeps your energy moving but like versus this chaotic energy how do you transform this and i think that's why i'm artist because if I wasn't, I would be chaos. <laughs> you know, Naledi, just listening to Nindia talking about, I guess, her process and how she manages these tensions is, is really interesting and really cool in the sense that nowhere in this conversation are any of you pretending that everything is perfect, right? Speak to me about how you also manage this tension of your art, your artistic output, um, maintaining that creative energy and fire. Of course, you're studying. When we were setting up this conversation and this interview, you had to double check your calendar to make sure when you would be meeting with your <laughs> advisor, right? The, the psychic yeah. energy and the emotional energy of writing a paper, writing a thesis is a lot. But perhaps to Nindia's own point about holding space and how you might do that for yourself and perhaps you have people that do that for you and with you. Yes, absolutely, Rafael. There are many challenges. There are many challenges. Absolutely. What people can't see is the raised eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> and you open your eyes wide. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's really time, I think, is such a, a huge thing to learn how to navigate as a human being in this kind of world that we live in. Especially as a student, it's very easy to fall into the kind of thinking that many universities put us into or want us to be put into that centers the university completely and that one's whole life should be totally dedicated to this one thing. And sure, for some people, maybe that really works and that feels very stimulating and it feels positive for their life. Personally, I find that having an, having a, a view of things that's more holistic, I like to think of these kinds of intersecting circles and to just keep tabs on each one, whether it's through meditation, through journaling, or even just through chats with people, chats with friends, open and honest chats. How is each person doing? How am I doing in terms of my connection to my body, my mind, my spirit? to the outside world through friendship and community and also to the outside world in terms of what I'm putting out, whether that's through art, music, sound or my studies. Nindia, your own perspective of, and you've spoken about how you and your partner, Nikhil, hold space for each other when I guess it's crunch time, but your own perspective on community and collaboration, also your view of how you want those commercial collaborations going forward to look like. Uh, How does this all Mm. speak to and inform this creative or design empire that you are working towards? Yeah. 
the different kind of systems that organization are built on is going to always vary from different levels. Whether you're working with Mr. Price, or I'm currently doing a lot of work with Nando's, or on a smaller level, when you collaborate with an architect or an interior architect, there's already a structure that they bring in. And I think the key is to be really adaptable and to understand your boundaries and also understand what they can offer and what you can offer. Um, and uh, I feel like um, going in with quite an open heart is very important and also being very contractually clued up. Mm-hmm. You have to understand contracts and it's very important for artists. And it's like I wish in art school they had one subject about professional practice like from first year because the lady's nodding vigorously (laughs) and i'm like you need to know about contracts because out there artists often sees us like this commodity of what do they call it like they use and throw like there's a way of saying disposable Disposable, use and dispose, yeah. yeah. Kind of community that a com- company would be like, oh, yeah, if we do this cool thing with this artist, we're going to look fancy. And then, uh, meanwhile, your art gets lost and you can't get hold of the people. And it's just really stressful for you as an artist. I think with experience, you start knowing what your worth is. And that's very important. Know what your worth is. Sure. Don't underprice your work. Don't just, this is what it is. And this is how I, I value myself. If somebody's not going to respect it, then they don't deserve it. Someone, there would be someone else who will respect what you want to offer. Yeah. And and that's fascinating. I love that we've moved into a, a, an aspect of money, but also worth as you understand it, as the artist, but also as society understands it, or perhaps as potential partners, employers, or the corporate world understands it. And that's such a key thing to talk about in this space. I was looking at, uh, I often read these UNCTAD reports on the possibilities within the creative industries or the creative sectors for development and sustainability and contributions to GDP in developing countries or mid or low income countries. And then I came across uh, this report, uh, it was focusing on money and support for the arts in South Africa. And it it also looked at the GDP contribution of the arts in South Africa. And it's taken from the SA Cultural Observatory report from 2020, from April 2020. And they were mapping the impact of COVID-19, the COVID-19 crisis on this particular sector. Essentially, the breakdown of value in monetary terms looks something like that. The largest domains in terms of contribution to output are design and creative services of about 51 billion rand. That's uh, 32% of contribution of the creative arts or the creative sectors to GDP. And that's 15% to the contribution of GDP of the overall creative sector. And I say all of this just to ask you about what your feelings are around the kind of support that we give the arts but specifically artists themselves, societally, uh, because, of course, we're talking right now because of a platform that you have um, submitted to and engaged in, that's the Anna Awards. And these are essentially private initiatives. And what I want to explore with you are kind of ideas, perhaps what you might wish for, uh, maybe even just as a baseline or the bare minimum that we could be or should be aspiring to 
as South Africans in supporting the creative industries, uh, not to mention the visuals which you're a part of, because we talk about how in a country with such low youth and employment, this is low-hanging fruit, uh, quote-unquote, for people to be able to move into some kind of viable or sustainable employment. And yet we find ourselves in a situation where so many arts artists and visual arts practitioners such as yourselves are fundamentally either freelancers, as um, you've alluded to in India, or entrepreneurs and no real safety net. When you think about these type of things in India, if at all, what are the sort of structural um, things that you wish were in place? So I think the one thing that is very important is to actually educate the different communities, whether it is educating the artist community about financial literacy, understanding how to manage your money, etc., or educating the broader South African community about the importance of arts and how how throughout history art messages through artworks has played a critical role in, in, in the world. And and I think making art more accessible also is very important to like younger children, like schools. Get if you if anyone asks me, go to this village, like an instant cape and spend a month and we're going to fund that and run this one month long like course with like classes with these students mm-hmm. who most probably especially how deprived our education system is currently and inspire them bring magic to them i think so many artists would be so happy to do something like that and i think recognizing the kind of like how we as artists can be an asset to uplifting so many sectors of, of the world would be really incredible. And also I feel like when you are spending time contributing in any space, you actually learn so much from that yourself. I always say, I think I learned more from my students when I lecture than they learned from me because a lot of my messages, they were like, all right, they will figure it out in 10 years and I'm like, oh, this is what India. <laughs> but like at the moment I learned so much from them. And I think it's not only on a financial level that the contribution can happen, but also like more holistically, how do we integrate art? And I love how Nandos is doing that. And they obviously spear closely related to Nandos. Every single Nandos you go to, you there is like people's work all yeah. over the world, like in the UK, Australia and in Mauritius. And it's, I don't even know where my work is, but it's somewhere in the world. And they run this like incredible program that's called Creative Block Project, where they travel different cities. And there's Tamlin who is like the, basically she gives you critics, but it's like not, it's not like with any intention of getting anything back. It's just purely, this is your work. And this is what you're trying to communicate. And this is how you can do it better. And I think those kind of programming latitudes, having a platform where you can just sign in to be an artist, have your work alongside incredible artists and be seen. And I think that's truly like the powerful things. And I wish that more people would do it. And I can see more brands like jumping into it. If And I often say like when people are like angry on the street, having wrote it, I'm like, if this person just go and make a pot, they're for some <laughs> bit. 
just go work with clay or just make a painting instead of being angry on the street and the drama of and if you have to convert that energy into creating something beautiful and we've all can do it collectively get dirty we'll do something it's going to be quite incredible yeah. uh, imagine a world where everybody's creating something yeah. and it would be incredible yeah Sure. Now, Lady Nindia talks to this very basic access that we all, in fact, ought to have, which is even just those art classes in a school. And what we often find ourselves in our context is kids learn a curriculum and things such as art and sports and cultural activities fall by the wayside because resources, because lack of political will. Those structural elements that you wish, perhaps even on a macro governmental level, might be in place in our context if we're going to elevate the creative arts and visual arts, but most importantly, change how we view or relate to arts so that it's not a siloed thing that happens there. And if you happen to understand or like or be drawn to it, fantastic. But if you aren't, I don't know what it takes to be able to experience arts and creativity in this manner as done by professionals or practitioners. Yes, absolutely, Rafiwe. I think also just to contribute to this vision of how artists can be more supported in the world, and I think how these efforts of particularly spreading education around how artists, how studying art, how pursuing art as a career can be supported financially through either governmental resources or through private companies. I think there needs to be greater sensitivity to the need for that knowledge and the need for that kind of awareness to be spread. Also, greater sensitivity to what exactly people need, like young artists, what they need, and especially in terms of creating spaces of coming together. Space in in South Africa is really expensive, particularly in Cape Town. Look, I'm just speaking from my own knowledge as someone based in Cape Town. But to have a studio is a huge enabler and can be a huge disabler if you can't really afford it personally also I speak from my own experience not having a space to work can be a huge challenge so i think having greater sensitivity and awareness to that would be very quite amazing to see encouragement of that like creation of space where people can come together and even as solo practitioners to have spaces where one can make and store work and across the disciplines as well. We continue our conversation after the short break. Anna Pure Organics is South Africa's first organic, locally manufactured and environmentally friendly brand of sanitary pads and panty liners. Environmentally conscious women now have a real alternative to traditional plastic sanitary products without having to compromise on comfort. In partnership with Latitudes, Anna is also the proud sponsor of the annual Anna Awards for Women Identifying Artists across Africa. Visit Anna Pure Organic. .co.za for more info and to find a stockist near you. Nindia, if you could think about um, the future and something that we touched on at the beginning of the conversation and what you think it might feel like in your body to have gone further along in your journey 
and I guess spent more time, as you said, collecting the fragments of yourself and synthesizing that into Nindia, the person um, who is, I don't want to say whole, but Nindia, the person who has been able to do the work of being herself, of being the artist, of being this communicator and a light to other artists. I have this picture that I constantly paint what I'm going to be in five years, what I'm going to be in 10 years, what I'm going to be in 20 years. And you don't need to know far ahead how you're going to look when you die, whatever. But it's very important to have a conceptual framework, what you are working towards. My very simple image, when I'm in my late 40s or 50s, I want to have a beachfront house where I open the door from my bedroom, my dogs run into the ocean and now go for a swim. That's what I want. And it's very simple. It's a very simple image, but it takes a lot of work to achieve. Yeah. But but it gives me something to work towards. And it's a reward for me. Mm. It's, a, it's a gift that I want to give myself, like a freedom that I want to give myself. And I think that's really the driving force of my life. Mm. And all this hard work doesn't matter. You just go through it. And I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more and more comfortable in my body. And I think it's a very important message for women in their 20s. You get more comfortable. I was actually talking to a friend today. Why did we hate our teeth? Like how we looked when we were... Isn't that crazy? You look the best you would ever look there. So it's... And also embracing like how your your facial structures change and like really owning your... Like nurturing your energy and like what you bring to a space, what you bring to your partner. Be confident about that. And I think it's... Even if I die tomorrow, I'd be very happy because I feel like... I'm doing what I need to do for me, for myself. And also, at the same time, contributing. It feels amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Lady, what does that, or what do you imagine that will feel like, that work of being yourself, of being the artist, of being that spatial landscape practitioner and synthesizing all these visions and all these aspects of yourself? What do you imagine that might feel like in your body and how do you want it to feel? Mm. I am in my early 20s and (laughs) sometimes it's quite difficult to fully craft that vision but I do think that each year I learn more things about myself and more about what I want and that's something that I think is very enjoyable about getting to know oneself better as we get older. I think part of those feelings that I've come to learn that I do want to experience are a feeling of freedom, definitely, and a feeling of not being weighed down, feeling excited, feeling energized, and particularly that mind, that mental energy, feeling Mm. inspired and open to the world and feeling physically energized as well. So, yeah, freedom and energy, I think inspiration, feeling like I have the resources to move and go out and do things. That's what I'd really like to feel. Yeah. Here's to vitality and to exploration (laughs) and to freedom and from your lips to God's ears. Thank you both so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure hanging out with you, talking to you. Thank you so much. It's amazing to be here, sharing space with all of you. It was really amazing. Thank you. 
Are you an art enthusiast or collector looking to safeguard your valuable assets? Look no further than I2 Art Insure. With the company's unique understanding of both the art world and the insurance industry, I2 is equipped to handle the distinct risks associated with insuring your acquisitions. Whether your pieces hold aesthetic, historic, investment or sentimental value, I2 has you covered. Visit i2.co.za or contact your broker for more info. I2 Art Insure is an authorized financial services provider. Thanks for listening to the Latitudes podcast, the voice for art from Africa. Please support us by liking, subscribing and sharing the podcast. Of course, we also welcome your reviews as these help other art enthusiasts find the podcast. The Latitudes podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Rafilwe Mpakanyane, for the Rare Event Foundry. Spike Valentine is on technical for DBO Medium. And a big thank you to the Latitudes team.